right, good morning. Thank you, Daniel, and the entire band, really. Uh, I don't know if you guys know how much practice and how much time they put into this, but uh, they came up here Saturday morning. I know they were up here for a couple hours practicing. They were up here early this morning practicing, trying to get sound check done. So really, they put a lot of work into this, um, a lot of work into really giving their all and giving their best so that all of us can worship together and so that they'll put forth their best um, in order that, that we can really worship our God uh, through music. So if you guys just give them one more hand, I think it's much deserved. They, they really take a lot of their time. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Michelle and John, Audrey, everyone else. All right, um, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1 this morning. So if you take out your Bibles, if you've got it, uh, it'll also be on the screens if you prefer to use that. Um, I myself, I love technology, but I also love having uh, God's Word in my hand right here. And if you guys would stand um, here, you know, Hibernia Hyde Park, really, the Word, this, this Word is a living Word. This Word is, is powerful, more powerful than we could imagine. And uh, so, so we'll stand just in honor of this as, as we read it. And we'll read the first six verses of uh, Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1, 1. Paul and Timothy... Servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You guys can be seated. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us this, this book, the living word that speaks truth in our lives, that, that really just guides us, um, that, that's your, your, your love letter to us, your instruction to us, your wisdom, God, uh, that we can live by. Lord, pray that as we're diving into your word this morning and as we're looking at, at everything um, that you've given us in, in just these six verses, God, that it will change our lives, that it will... Uh, make sure that, that you make sure that we don't leave here the same. God, your word changes everything. The gospel changes everything. And Lord, we're coming to you this morning just really seeking you and, and nothing else. Just seeking more of you. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, uh, before we dive into this passage, let me give you some background as to what was going on that helped um, plant the church at Philippi and everything. First of all, uh, Paul was on his second missionary journey. He's going planting churches, visiting some of the churches that he had already planted. And uh, as, as he's going, um, he, he's getting prepared to go to the next city, and the Holy Spirit pretty much just, just stops him and says, no, I don't want you to go there. I want you to come here. He gives him this epic vision um, pretty much that calls him to Macedonia, which is where Philippi is. And so Paul, you know, he, he follows the Holy Spirit's guidance. He goes into Macedonia. He comes to Philippi. And uh, when he first came to Philippi, there wasn't, a, you know, there wasn't a church there. Um, there were Jewish, uh, there were Jewish people there that, that believed in God. Um, even one was called a worshiper of God, but uh, they hadn't believed in Christ yet. They hadn't heard the gospel, received the gospel, really. So Paul comes to Philippi, and, and he's hanging out there for a few days. And I really, I come to imagine Paul just as he gets here. He he gets to the city, and he says, "Well, God, you've led me here. What are you going to do next?" And so he spends a few days just walking around the city, um, I'm sure just praying and, and asking God, like, where are you going to take me next? Just, just show me. So uh, the Sabbath comes, and he knows that there are going to be Jewish people. Um, they didn't have a, a synagogue in Philippi, so he knows that there are going to be Jewish people outside the city. 
uh, for a prayer meeting. So he and, and Luke and Silas and some of the other believers went outside the city, and Paul strikes up a conversation with Lydia. Um, and you may have heard of her. She's referenced in other places in Scripture. But he, he starts this conversation with her, and, and this is the woman that, that Scripture calls a worshiper of God. You see, she was a worshiper of God, but she wasn't a follower of Christ yet. So Paul starts to talk to her, and, and in the book of Acts, Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit opened her heart to what Paul was going to say to her. She gets saved, um, and she and her family, her, the rest of her family get saved. They all get baptized, and uh, they begin to um, spread the gospel. They begin to, to teach others and lead others. And uh, so, so Paul's led this one person to Christ. This is kind of the start of the church of Philippi. And a few days later, um, actually, I believe it's the next Sabbath, he and Silas and Luke, a few other believers, again, are walking toward a prayer meeting when they come across a demon-possessed girl. And uh, you may have also seen this elsewhere. It's in the book of Acts. It's recorded in Acts chapter 16. But they come across this demon-possessed girl. Um, she's being used, essentially, she's a slave. Uh, her owners use her to predict the future and predict events and stuff to get money out of her. Um, well, well, she starts following them around, just, just shouting out, like, these are servants of the Most High God. She's yelling and stuff. So Paul turns around, and he's like, no, stop. Like, he just tells, stop, be silenced, and, and come out of her. He tells the demon to come out of her. The demon leaves her, and the owners get mad because they can't make any money off of her anymore. So they bring it up, um, they bring it up before the magistrates, and they have Paul and Silas thrown in prison. Uh, this is the point where Paul and Silas, that evening, were, were praying and, and singing, and God sends an earthquake, it shakes the foundations of the prison, and the prison doors are opened. Now, the Philippian jailer, at this point, he comes to and, and, and realizes that the doors are open, and he thought all the prisoners had escaped. So he goes to kill himself, he draws a sword, he's ready to kill himself. And, and Paul and Silas, you know, they stop him. Paul says, hold up, we're still all here, you don't have to kill yourself, because if the prisoners had escaped, the, the government would have killed him anyway. So uh, he says, no, no one's left, we're all here. You don't kill yourself. And, and he just turns, and seeing the testimony of Paul and Silas that evening, just praising God while they're in prison, he, he turns and just says, Sirs, what do I have to do to be saved? So they tell him, they share the gospel with him and his family. He and his family get saved, they get baptized. Um, later on, <clears throat> later the next day, Paul and Silas are, are released from prison. Uh, the, the magistrates actually found out they were Roman citizens and, and everything, so they just uh, they took him out of prison, asked him to leave the city. But that's the start of the church at Philippi, and that's the background. That's what's gone into this church. So first we've seen Lydia and a few other women with her and her family have gotten saved. The Philippian jailer and his family have gotten saved. And that starts this church that Paul's writing to uh, in the book of Philippians. And we're going to dive in. Just, just seeing that background, we kind of have an idea that this is a personal letter. This is actually, um, of all the epistles that Paul wrote to churches, this is probably the most personal uh, uses first-person personal pronoun, I, me, whatever, more than a hundred times in this book. So uh, this is, this is going to be an intimate letter with this church. Uh, and if you look at verse 1, um, we're just going to look at the first part of verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. The word servants here, um, if you look in the other epistles that Paul wrote, uh, out of 13, he only uses servants to introduce himself three times, uh, here in two other places. Most of the time he uses apostle, um, but it's, it's really interesting that he would use servant here uh, because it comes from the Greek word doulos. Um, doulos really, if you look at other early Greek literature, is only ever translated servant in scripture. Outside of, outside of scripture and any other Greek literature, usually it's just translated slave. 
Um, scripture, scripture, a lot of the time, sticks to the servant, bond servant, but it has this idea of a slave. And really, slavery's gotten this bad connotation associated with it in the last two, three hundred years, um, for good reason. But, but in this time, and the time when Paul's writing, slaves, they had a good relationship with their master. Typically, I mean, their, their master cares for them, and he takes care of them. See, a, a slave or a servant is owned by his master, and, and he begins, his master takes care of him. Uh, he's the property of his master. He knows that he doesn't belong to himself. He doesn't own his rights. His rights belong to his master. Um, so, so that's one of the first things is that a servant, a servant when he's owned by his master, it's, uh, it's, it's a personal relationship, and it's a deep relationship. And um, next thing we see is a servant is fully dependent upon his master. Uh, if you continue to look at it, you know, he says, Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus. He puts this in here. When, when a servant had a master, um, he couldn't, he didn't, or the servant wasn't expected to provide for himself. He wasn't expected really to buy his own food or, or to build his own shelter. The, the master took care of that. He said, look, you're working for me. I'll provide you a job. I'll feed you. I'll, I'll give you a house for you and your family. Just work for me. So it, it's a good relationship. It's an intimate relationship. It's a personal relationship. Um, but it has gotten some bad relations. And I don't know if, uh, I work a lot with lighting, and there's this thing when, when, you're, when you're setting up lights um, as far as like for a show or something, uh, it's called piggybacking. So you'll take one light and you run a power source to it, and the next light runs off of that power source. Well, when, you, when you're running lights, you program that. It's called a master-slave light. It's, a, it's called a master-slave relationship between the lights because if the power source to the first light is cut, then all the lights after that are cut. So they're really fully dependent upon the first light. And, and that's what this relationship is. is a, a slave is completely and fully and 100% dependent upon his master. And, and Paul, Paul says here, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. This, is have any literature teachers in here? Anyone who really loves grammar? Yeah, a couple? So do you know, you know an apposition? You know you know, an apposition is an appositive. Uh, an appositive, basically, in literature is this. It's, uh, if I were to say, I've got a dog back home. My fiance, she hates my dog. She says that we're not taking him. She thinks he's gross and dirty. He's a beagle. And, and uh, yeah, he is gross and dirty, but he's really cute, and I love him. She hates him. She can't stand him. But um, I've got a dog back home, and if I were to talk about my dog, and I said, my dog, Blue, is awesome, which she's not going to agree with. But if I said, my dog, Blue, is awesome, Blue is his name. It's an apposition to dog. It's not a description, but it's actually a restatement of what the dog is. It's, it's connected. It's his identity. And when Paul writes here, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants, it's not a description. It's an identity. It's, it's actually fully connected. It's, it's who they are. It's, it's part of their substance. It's not just an adjective. It's not just a description. It's an apposition. So he's saying we are servants. That's our identity. And then he goes on. We're servants of Christ Jesus. So what we see in the master-slave relationship, when, when he picks the word doulos here, instead of, instead of putting an apostle or instead of uh, leaving it blank, he, he, he picks slave, a servant. What we're seeing here is that he is fully dependent on Christ, just as we are to be. As we're servants of Christ, we, we're to be fully dependent on him for everything. There's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves. It's our identity is found in this, that we're servants of the Most High God. 
We, we can do nothing outside of Christ. It all points back to Christ. Uh, according to chapter 3 of Philippians, really, it's later in, this, later in this book, in chapter 3, Paul's saying, look, if anyone has any reason to boast in his flesh, if anyone has any reason to boast in who he is, it's me. He, he talks about you know, the tribe he comes from, that he's a Pharisee of Pharisees, that he's a leader, that he was this great guy in the Jewish world, that, that he was powerful and, 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 and important. So if anyone has any power to boast in the flesh, it would have been Paul, but, but he gets his identity. He accepts it, and he embraces it, and he, and he doesn't even reference any of his past in, in order to say, yeah, you should listen to me. That's not his authority. His authority is in Christ. He's a servant of Christ. He's just a messenger. This letter is not a message from Paul. It's a, it's a message from God. And, and we're the same thing. You see, when we see that we're servants of Christ, it, it changes the way that we've got to look at ourselves. It changes the way that we look at, at everything that we do. Suddenly, everything we do is, is not coming from us. It's coming from God and pouring out through us. When, we're, when we see ourselves, and, and what I'm calling this is our practical identity, because it's practical for every area of your life. It's, it's the identity that, that you hold to that defines you, and no matter what you're doing, you're a servant of the Most High God. So everything that comes out of you and, and, and everything that people see in you needs to be a reflection of that. You see, we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. We're, we're not, I'm not standing up here as Eric this morning. I'm standing up here as a servant of the Most High God. That's, that's our practical identity. And it's not in ourselves. It's in Christ. So, so that's, that's the first thing, is that we're servants of the Most High God. And, and we can keep going. Let's look at the second part of verse 1. And this is just a greeting. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Saints. Um, this, this term comes from the Greek word hagios. Now, when I first think of saints, I think like, I'm picturing like the statues of like St. Peter and St. Paul, you know, the, the things that you see, you often see them in different Catholic churches or, or different events like that. And, and they're often, oftentimes kind of like fathers of the faith or, 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 you know, the early believers that we, we put so much in and, and we begin to elevate them. But, but the Greek word here is hagios. It literally means holy ones. It's not just talking about people that wrote books in the New Testament. It's not just talking about people that went on missionary journeys and, and, and planted churches at Philippi and Ephesus and, and Thessalonica. It's, it's talking about all believers. It's talking about everyone who's been made holy in Christ Jesus. That's, that's what this means to saints, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Saints, holy ones, that's us. We're holy ones. We're, we don't need some statue in the church or anything to make us a saint. We, all believers are saints. We're all holy ones. And, and what it also refers to is a progressive sanctification. What this means basically is that we're being made holy. We're constantly being made holy. We've been predestined by God to become fully holy at the day of Christ Jesus, to become fully holy. But, but right now, We've got this thing going on where we're wrestling with the flesh. And so we're constantly being made holier and holier and holier, being consecrated more and more and more until, until that day. So we're holy ones, but, but not just holy ones. He doesn't just say to the saints who are at Philippi, the saints in Christ Jesus. Just like when we're looking at who we're a servant of, when we're looking at who we're holy in, it's Christ Jesus. It's no one else. 
It's not because, you know, my great-grandmother went to church every Sunday for every day of her life. It's not that I, you know, that, that my mom didn't miss a single day of Sunday school growing up or anything like that. It's not that I'm up here speaking this morning. It's not, you know, it's, it's not because some guy's running the sound booth. That's not his holiness. It's not, you know, that Daniel leads worship. That's not our holiness. None of it's found in ourselves. It's found in Christ Jesus. We're holy ones in Christ Jesus. That there's no separating that from the description. You cannot pull that out. You cannot ignore this. It's only in Christ that we're made holy because he is the holy one. When, when, when we come to know Christ, when we come to accept Christ, his holiness is, is covering all of our sin. When God looks at us, he doesn't see sin. He doesn't see our mistakes and our failures. He sees the holiness of Christ. That is an incredible truth. That, that's the gospel. That is Christ changing everything about our spiritual identity. No longer are, are we, are we you know, just, just sinners uh, destined for hell. But, but now we're holy ones in Christ Jesus. Our spiritual identity is that we are holy ones in Christ Jesus. That's the power of the gospel. That's the working of the gospel. Even, you know, you can look at Buddhists, and, and, and you don't hear a Buddhist say that he's in Buddha. You don't hear a Muslim say, yeah, I'm, I'm in Muhammad. We, we are the only faith that can really claim to be in our Lord. We're the only faith that can claim that we are in our Lord. No other faith can claim that. Ephesians 2, if you'll go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, God, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, when we were dead, not barely alive, not we had a little bit of life because of good works. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. We are spiritually unified with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We're holy ones in Christ Jesus. There is, and if you go to Acts, there's also reference to Acts chapter 4 right here. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Our holiness is only in Christ Jesus. Again, there's no separating that. There's no getting away from that. Everything that we're seeing, I mean, we've looked at half of a verse. Half of one verse. We've already seen these things point back to Christ. Everything's pointing back to him. And, and let me tell you, from here on out, it's not going to start pointing to us. It's going to keep pointing to him. Paul, Paul knew his identity. It's found in Christ. Let's keep going. We'll read verses 3 through 5 right now. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He says all. He says always all. He's talking about the body of believers at Philippians. He, he uses partnership. The word partnership comes from a Greek word koinonia that essentially throughout the rest of the New Testament is often translated fellowship. You know, when we say, yeah, we're going to have a potluck dinner or something like that. We're going to fellowship with one another. Or we say shake hands, fellowship. Like that's what we're talking about. But I feel like today we've kind of gotten off that path of, of true Christian fellowship, of true Christian partnership. And, and we've gone to more of a selfish fellowship, myself included. I mean, I, I get scared of like, 
I, I get scared of, of being let down, so I'm not going to open up to people. That, that's, that's the way that I've viewed it in the past. It's, it's just like, oh, man, I don't, you know, what, what happens if I pour into this person? And, you know, they, they, they take and take and take, and then and nothing happens. They don't give back. Or they take and take and take and don't change. You know, they listen and they listen, but they're not actually going to react in response to, to me trying to be able to pour in their lives or me even opening up about my own life, sharing with them. And we've come to have this almost selfish community, this selfish view of fellowship, of, of partnership. But, but we're to be a community. We're to be a fellowship of believers. This, this partnership that, that Paul is implying here, this partnership that he's referring to, talking about the, the holy ones at, at Philippi, it's not like a, I show up on, you know, I show up on worship day and, and we sing some songs together, and then we have a handshake of time, and I say hey to a bunch of people, and I smile real big like everything's fine, and, and, and I shake a bunch of hands, and at the end I talk to somebody for about 10 minutes, and then I go home and don't talk to anybody for the rest of the week, or I don't talk to anybody till Wednesday. That, that's not what, what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about a fellowship where, where we're getting into each other's lives. I mean, believers are called to be—we're we're to be intentional in our fellowship. We're called to get into each other's lives, to, to, to not just see each other, you know, a couple days a week and say, hey, but to really get to know one another and to be talking to each other throughout the week, to say, you know, hey, John, like, what's going on? Tuesday, I'm texting him saying, hey, you told me about this Sunday. How's it going? Wednesday, I'm calling him. Hey, man, how's it going? Want to meet up for lunch? That's fellowship. That's Christian fellowship. That's koinonia fellowship. And, and, and we've taken that, and, and we just, you know, a lot of the times we just see each other twice a week, and we're good with that. And then we go and lock ourselves up in our houses and, and don't talk until Wednesday night. And then we do the same thing and don't talk until Sunday morning. We're to be a community. We, we are called to get deeply into each other's lives. John MacArthur even writes this in, in a commentary on Philippians. <coughs> he writes that, sorry, <laughs> yeah. It's hard to get away from this, Mike, but John MacArthur writes that a Christian who willingly forsakes fellowship, now don't miss this, a Christian who willingly forsakes fellowship with other believers will inevitably be without genuine, spirit-filled joy. That's scary. That's, that doesn't look good. That, that threatens the way that we often do fellowship today. A Christian who willingly forsakes fellowship with other believers. And we're not just talking about saying hi on Sunday mornings. We'll inevitably be without true spirit-filled joy. That's challenging. But that's the fellowship that Paul's talking about here. This is our communal identity, is that we are fellow believers not fellow as in like, I'm a good fellow, like just talking about guys. No, we're fellow believers as in we're a fellowship. We are a community. We are to get into each other's lives, to talk to each other throughout the week, to care for one another, to take care of each other, to actually pray for people when we say, yeah, I'll be praying for you this week. Because, you know, and I'll just be honest, I find myself often, and I found myself in the past often saying, yeah, I'll pray for you. And then Sunday comes around, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to see that person. So, so I say like a three-second prayer, and I'm like, yeah, I prayed for you this week. That's, that's not w- what we're called to do. We're called to be intentional about it and, and, and to purposefully get to know one another and, and, and to care for one another deeply, not just on this shallow level. It's our communal identity. We're to be a community. We're to love one another. 
But the miracle of it is, is that that's not going to happen outside of Christ. The only reason that, that we can even relate to one another is, is because of Christ, because of what he's done in our lives, what he's done for us because of, because of his gospel, because of what he gave to bring us together. It's all through Christ. Let, let's, let's go on. Let's keep looking at this. <laughs> he doesn't stop there in verse 5. Um, he's talking about thanking God and all remembrance of you because of your partnership in the gospel. So not only are we supposed to be a fellowship of believers, but we're also supposed to get to, to build relationships with unbelievers. We don't just say, yeah, like we're, we're Christians and, and we don't need to be in the world. Like we don't, or be in the world, not of the world. So I don't talk to them. I'm just going to work there. I'm going to, I mean, yeah, I'm working in the world. That's being in it. No. And we've been going through this, this study on Wednesday nights, helping without hurting. Um, based on the book, When Helping Hurts, just talking about, I don't just give somebody money and say, yeah, I'm done with it. I help, I help somebody who's in poverty. That's not helping them. That's, that's, a, going to potentially bring more shame and bring less self-worth that's going to continue to break their relationships down. We're to build relationships. Where, um, if, you look at, if you look at Matthew 28, yep, I remembered. If you look at Matthew 28 with the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We're to go and make disciples. I mean, we're not... We're not to say, hey, have you heard about Jesus Christ? Let me tell you about him. And then we walk away and we don't ever talk to that person again. That's not making a disciple. It's planting a seed. It is. And, 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 and there's a time and a place for that. But if that's all we ever do, then we're not fulfilling our calling. We're not fulfilling our, our duty, our responsibility. Not a suggestion, a command, a commission, a great commission. We're to make disciples. We're to, we can't do that without getting involved in, in the lives of unbelievers, without getting to know them and know, you know, what, what are you hurting for? What are you struggling with? What do you need? How can I help? How can I show you that Christ can help? We're, we're partners in the gospel. And that, that requires that we build relationships with the lost. That requires that, that we get to know them more deeply, more intimately than on a surface level. That's, that is our our functional identity. This is our function. This is our calling. This is our command that we are partners in the gospel of Christ. We're commanded to make disciples. And we can't do that unless we start building relationships with unbelievers. And I love what Pastor Jimbo said one Sunday. If you're not getting offered a beer, you're not doing it right. Not that you're supposed to accept the beer, but if, if you're not hanging out with unbelievers... If, if you haven't been, been offered something like that, then, then you're probably only hanging out with believers. And you're not getting this aspect of being a partner in the gospel. And what, a, what does a partner, what does a business partner do? He invests money for the, good of comp- for the good of the company, to see the company go far. He puts money into it. He's got to get some skin in the game. We, we've got to do the same. We've got to be willing to, to be open and not put up this front of my life is perfect with unbelievers. I want you to see how my life is perfect. Our lives aren't perfect. Our lives aren't anywhere near perfect. I, I mean, maybe yours is. I don't know, but mine's not. So, so why would I put up this front when I'm talking to people? Why would I, why would I just say, yeah, man, everything's going great. Let me, let, me, let me help you. No, that's not what this is about. Put some skin in the game. Be real with people. Be willing to be humble. It's about 
It's about doing ministry and then, and then also just receiving, humbly receiving ministry of others. You've got to be humble. You can't have this concept of, yeah, God's put me on this planet to help everybody else and I don't need any help. That's not what this is about. It's not gospel-centered at all. It's arrogant. We're, we've got to be humble in the way that we do ministry and the way that we relate to other people. So just in a greeting to a letter, We've seen Christ permeate everything. We're servants of the Most High God. We, we're holy ones in Christ Jesus. We are partners. We are a community of believers and then partners in the gospel to make disciples. And verse 6, verse 6 is just incredible. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The verb tense on I am sure, uh, or the verb tense when he goes, I am sure of this, that he um, who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. On that, will bring it, there's no doubt. It's not there's no doubt implied there. And when, when Paul says, I'm sure, basically he's saying, I've always been sure, I always will be sure, I still am being sure. It's a constant thing, some translations put it, and being sure of this. He who began a good work in you, and this is believers, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. He's not going to fail. So when I go this week and, and I'm trying to, trying to, to make a disciple, but I decide that I don't have time, and I brush, some un, I brush an unbeliever off. I brush uh, somebody off. I brush a believer off who wants to talk, and I just say, man, I don't have time right now. And I realize later, oh, wow, what have I just done? It's not, I don't sit there and beat myself up over it, and I don't sit there for the next three days and wallow in how much God must hate me and despise me because that's not true. It's not even close to true. He who began the good work in us will bring it to completion. It's God. If you guys haven't seen that this morning, you've missed it. Everything that we've seen this morning is in Christ. It's in our God. It's never about us. It'll never be about us. It's about Jehovah. It's about the God that Isaiah sees, and, and, and he sees seraphim just, just flying around him and surrounding him, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy. It's about him. He trumps everything. We serve an almighty God. We're not serving ourselves. We're not here for ourselves. So don't act like it. Let's not act like it. We're here for him. It's always about him. It'll always be about him. It'll never be about us. It's about Christ and everything that we do and everything that we experience and everything that, that we are so blessed with. Salvation, getting to do ministry, getting to, to know people, getting to love and, and to, to, to just have relationship. That's, that's in Christ. That doesn't happen without him. It's always about him. So if you're a believer this morning, there, there is no leaving here and saying, yep, well, I'm going to practice so that I can get better at, at building a relationship. Or, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and uh, I'm going to be a good servant. I mean, I'm going to do it. I'm going to work on it. But it's more of this. I rest in Christ this week. 
We're not going to become a servant. Of, uh, we're not going to become a servant. We're not going to start serving other people. We're not going to start, start ministering to other people or building relationships if we go here and practice. Okay, we'll go out of here and practice. But, but we may if we go out of here and pray. We may if we go out of here and spend some time with God. We may if, if we go out of here realizing that our identity is an apposition. It's, it's not a description. Our identity, the core of who we are, is always and only found in Christ. And that's, that's believers. But, if, I mean, if you're here this morning and, and you don't know Christ, what is your identity? What are you holding on to? Is it work? Is it a family? Is it maybe you don't know Christ, but you've been to church every day of your life, and that's your identity. Every, every Sunday of your life. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with them, what is it? Christ is enough. So, so for believers, as we're going, as we're going this week, uh, I challenge you just, just to really rest in Christ and, and, and stop trying to do everything of your own accord and in your own power. But just rest in, in Him and in what He's done in your life and what He's continuing to do in your life. That the that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And, and if you're leaving here, or if you're sitting here this morning and, and you're an unbeliever, I wouldn't want you to leave here without Christ. So, <clears throat> no matter where you're at this morning, um, the altar is going to be open. Daniel's going to come and, and, and play, and uh, we'll have a time of invitation. Just time for you to, you can sit there, pray. You can come up here. Pastor Jimbo's going to be up here. I'll be up here. If you want to talk to someone, if you just want to uh, come up here and get on your knees before the holy God, the almighty God that we serve, the one that reigns over all, then, then go for it. Whatever God's leading you to do, don't ignore it. Don't, don't begin to ignore it. Because that gets to be dangerous. So this is this rough situation. So God's leading you to do something this morning. Uh, just, just listen to him. Let's pray.